Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the Tory civil war. We're going to talk about whether or not Boris Johnson is going to make it. We're also going to like what would Boris Johnson leadership or a Rishi Sunak leadership look like? So if you're watching live, do as ever, press subscribe, press the like button. I'm going to bring in now the brilliant journalist Adam Bienkov and the conservative writer Tim Montgomery. How are you both doing? Good, all good. I, I was all right until Adam was described as brilliant and I didn't get any description. Yes, the superb. <laughs> The, fa- the, f- the always fascinating and provocative Tim Montgomery. How's that sound? Are we happy? Um, yeah, we're okay. I'll carry on now. <laughs> that's very, very generous. So let's just start. So, Tim, let's start with you, Tim. Is Boris Johnson going to get the nominations? Uh, he may get the nominations. And I think if he was to get the nominations and he was to go before party members... I think there would be a realistic chance of him becoming prime minister. But, 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 I don't think we should underestimate um, Boris Johnson would hate the idea that he was like the second choice of MPs and still became prime minister. Don't underestimate the extent which Boris Johnson needs to be liked. And I think the idea that he could win the mem- win the premiership, win the leadership, but have been completely outflanked by Rishi Sunak amongst MPs, that will weigh heavily on his mind. Adam? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, what we know about Boris Johnson from his career is he only really goes into battle where he can win them and win them fairly easily. Um, And I do think that there's a very good chance he could get the nominations. But if Rishi Sunak gets 200 plus MPs, which he looks well on course to get, there's going to be a huge amount of pressure put on him, even if he manages to scrape the, the 100 to drop out. Um, and that pressure is going to come from his own MPs. It also come from a lot of councillors and members. And also, I, I suspect, from some Conservative supporting newspapers as well, who are going to be looking at the scenario of a Boris, Boris Johnson premiership and going, this is actually going to be a, a bit of a disaster for, for lots of reasons, really. I mean, try, try and imagine the scenario of Johnson actually winning this. Um, if, if Rishi Sunak gets 200 plus MPs, he's essentially been rejected by his parliamentary party, not once, but twice, because he was booted out in the summer. And then he goes into becoming leader of the party and immediately into a privileges committee investigation and the nightmare of potentially being a recall motion. And, you know, it just, the whole thing is a disaster waiting to happen. And surely he's going to be looking at that and thinking, well, yeah, maybe I can get through all, through all of that. Uh, and my government not collapse, but it doesn't look great. Surely it'd be better for me to say I'm going to drop out and, and do the do a decent thing and get behind Rishi Sunak. 
Let's just hear quickly from Dominic Raab, who basically, I think, fleshed out the scenario part that you're talking about. I'd love to see Boris Johnson mm -hmm. come back to frontline politics. I'm speaking personally. But we have this major issue which led to him having to resign, which is Partygate. Mm -hmm. And in a matter of days, not weeks, a matter of days, he's going to see televised uh, witness testimony, including his own, mm -hmm. which is going to take him right back into that spiral of ground. I mean, isn't that the issue, Tim, that... Part of the problem is, obviously, he was felled in the end, in large part by Partygate. Actually, it was Chris Pincher, the whip, who was accused of groping two young men who Boris Johnson then obviously was fa failed to act quickly enough. But Partygate was what caused the crisis in his premiership. Is that, do you think, do you think a lot of Tory MPs, that's the calculation? Even those on the right of the party, they're just thinking this will be, we've just had the Liz Truss calamity there needs to be some sort of conservative stability and this will just be a massive continued psychodrama. Tim. What was that to me, Owen? Yeah, sorry, that was to you, Tim. Sorry. Yeah. Look, I... Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I, th I, th I think the truth is, and this is a confession that perhaps some of your viewers will only think justifies their dislike of the Conservative Party, but look, I think if Boris Johnson was cutting taxes... If he was controlling immigration, you know, if he was had completely delivered Brexit, I think a lot of his ethical lapses would have been forgiven. And um, we all basically knew that Boris Johnson wasn't the most angelic person ever to enter number 10 Downing Street, you know, before he did so. But, uh, you know, a bargain was done with the devil, if you like, um, in return for getting Brexit over the line and defeating Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, the Conservative Party was willing to roll the dice with Boris Johnson. Um, what went wrong for him was after that 2019 massive general election victory, he didn't really do anything with it. He didn't build houses. He didn't level up. He didn't deliver the kind of reforms that if Margaret Thatcher had, say, won a majority of 80, Boris Johnson would have done. And so that's what I think is most interesting about, you mentioned Suella Braverman at the top of the show, Owen. Um, you mentioned David Frost, um, Kemi Badenoch. The right of the Conservative Party are not backing Boris Johnson. It's partly because they know I think it would be a moral SHIT show if um, Boris returned. But I think they're also not backing him because actually they can remember he didn't really deliver conservatism. And um, I think Rishi Sunak is a massive gamble. I'm not a big fan of Rishi Sunak. But I think we know the country would deservedly laugh at us if seven weeks after ditching a prime minister, for all sorts of reasons, we invited him back. Just on Rishi Sunak, who obviously is the frontrunner amongst MPs by a big margin, in terms of the political differences between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, I mean, this is, uh, for example, Sunak allies warn of catastrophe if Boris Johnson becomes PM. Uh, there's no evidence, an ally says, of Rishi Sunak. There's no evidence he grasps the need for restraint in spending. Cakeism may sound a wonderful concept, but past six weeks have proved it has catastrophic consequences. I mean, Adam, Rishi Sunak is to the right of Boris Johnson on the economy, isn't it? He's essentially going to pursue a austerity economic programme. And actually, with Boris Johnson, he wasn't necessarily ideologically committed to austerity in the way that other Conservatives were. And that's actually one of the points of difference that lots of Tory MPs have with Boris Johnson. So, Adam... Yeah, so I mean, you know, politics is often about vibes, and um, Sunak has kind of got the vibe of being a kind of remain centrist politician. But actually, you look at what his policies are, 
and what he advocated in, in government. He's actually significantly to the left of Boris Johnson, certainly on economic policy. Uh, and you can kind of see that in some of the endorsements that he's getting, people like Suella Braidman, Kemi Badenoch. Um, they understand, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the right backed Boris Johnson, despite the fact that he actually, a lot of his agenda was almost kind of social democratic in, in, in what it was pursuing. But they backed him because uh, they believed that he was a winner in large part. Um, I think a lot of that reputation he's got for being a winner is kind of somewhat of a myth. He was, his ratings have never been great, even back in 2000. And 19, he was pretty much even on his approval ratings and they went south. The only time where he really had any significant um, popularity was when he was seriously ill with COVID. Um, and often, I, th I think, you know, he's been lucky in some of his opponents, you know, whatever people might think of Jeremy Corbyn, he was very unpopular at that point. It wasn't that, that Johnson was massively popular in 2019, it's just that Corbyn was, was even more unpopular. Um, but it's a very different scenario now where Johnson's ratings are actually pretty dire. Okay, they're not as bad as... Liz Truss's ratings, but there are a few politicians whose ratings are worse than, are as bad as Liz Truss. You have to look, I think as you said, as said Owen before, you have to look at someone like Vladimir Putin before you find someone who's more unpopular. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. I think Tim's right. It is a combination of his politics. They've never particularly bought anyway, the right of the party, but they thought he was a winner and he was backing things that they like, like Brexit. Well, Brexit is over largely as an issue now in British politics. Um, we now have the economy is the major issue. And the big issue coming up is, is that how are we going to deal with the economy? Is it going to be tax rises or is it going to be public spending cuts? And I think Johnson's instinct would be to rely on tax rises in large part because he knows how unpopular the spending cuts would be. Whereas I think we're more likely to get a kind of austerity agenda with Rishi Sunak, which will be more popular with the right of the party. The polling, I should say, Adam was referring to is YouGov, where Liz Truss's net rating was minus 70 amongst British voters. Vladimir Putin was minus 74. Tim, just on the on the economics, I mean, that, look, you know Tory MPs across the board very well. I mean, is it essentially the case that, as Adam says, they obviously saw Boris Johnson as a winner, but well, the reservations they put to one side were that on the economy, they didn't think he was a true blue Tory. And part of the Liz Truss spasm, if you like, was this sense of, genuine Tory economics have been suppressed by the Johnson era and now we're going to have the real deal? No, I, I think it's almost the reverse of that, um, Owen, actually, in a way. And you called the Liz Trust spasm, and I think it was a spasm. Look, you and I are never going to agree on the size of the state and the level of taxation, etc. But I think that I'm, I'm basically a Christian democratic conservative rather than a libertarian conservative. And I think what we have seen really is I think the Liz Truss experiment is the aberration in the modern Conservative Party rather than the sort of Theresa May, uh, Boris Johnson era, which is you know, more state intervention, a larger state. Um, I took great encouragement, really, from the, the massive rebellion from people like Michael Gove to Mel Stride, chairman of the Treasury Select Committee, when, when Liz Truss wanted to cut the top rate of tax, when there was talk of not uprating benefits there was a significant conservative rebellion. Now, look, we haven't won the debate. There's still a lot to be decided. But what I think the last few weeks have shown is that the Conservative Party is perhaps closer to the centre than people like Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng thought it was. There is now a large caucus inside the Conservative Party that doesn't believe in an ultra-low state. We aren't the US Republican Party. And the Centre for Social Justice, which I uh, formed, helped support a caucus of well over 100 Conservative MPs 
who are interested in issues of social justice and income equality. Now, we're not going to sign up to a Keir Starmer programme or a, a Jeremy Corbyn programme. But I think there was real horror that the Conservative Party basically tore up the 2019 manifesto, which tried to communicate to red wall voters, to blue collar Britain, that we're in the, on their side. And then suddenly Liz Truss was talking about a bonfire of workers' rights, was emphasising getting rid of the cap on bankers' bonuses, was cutting the top rate of income tax, but completely unaware of the marginal you know, income withdrawal rate affecting people on universal credit. So look, there's lots of battles to be fought for the future of the Conservative Party. But I'm encouraged in you know, a silver lining of the very dark cloud we've all been living under over the last few weeks is I think the Conservative Party is actually more European post-Brexit than we were pre-Brexit. It's interesting just talking about, just looking at some of the polling, because obviously Tory polling under Liz Truss collapsed to pretty astonishing levels to down in, into the teens. So Labour with a 30-plus um, poll lead. But some of the polling now, so if we look at, for example, polling here, this is Renfield and Wilton strategies, it suggests that Keir, St it, I mean, this is maybe quite astonishing, a Starmer versus Johnson um, matchup, uh, Starmer gets 42% as the better prime minister, Boris Johnson gets 39%, so that's actually only a three-point lead. Starmer versus Sunak, actually Starmer has a much bigger lead there, 44% for Starmer, 33% for Sunak. Starmer versus Morden, well, she's not even in the race. I mean, she won't get the MPs clean, but she's he's on 49%. She's on 22%. But also, I mean, if you look at voting intention, there is a Tory recovery under whoever becomes leader, just because the, the polling has been so catastrophic uh, under Liz Truss. But if Boris Johnson were leader, the Tories would be on 36%, Labour 46%, Rishi Sunak about the same, just 35%. What do you make of that, Adam? It's quite interesting that actually, after everything... Boris Johnson's actually holding up OK there in best PM right. I think we have to be pretty wary of those kind of hypothetical uh, polling questions. People don't really know how they're going to vote until they actually see, see what happens. I think the reality of what would happen is that if Boris Johnson becomes prime minister, he's immediately going into that privileges committee inquiry where there's going to be televised hearings every day talking about whether or not the prime minister is a liar and we know from polling that when you ask people what is the first word that you think of when you think of Boris Johnson, they're already saying liar. Um, there's a, then a very good chance that he comes out the wrong way from that uh, investigation and is then suspended, potentially a uh, by-election which he could likely lose. And at, the, at that point, we could then be into another Conservative Party leadership contest. And at that point, I think the Conservative poll ratings could really go through completely go through the floor. But you know, even if he survives that process, there's then everything we know about Boris Johnson, you know, it's it's one thing after another. He's undoubtedly going there's gonna be other scandals, there'll be other disputes. And is he really going to be able to make the cuts that his party wants him to make? Um, is he really going to be able to hold his party together when such a large majority seem to be backing Rishi Sunak for, um, against him when he's been rejected by his own party. So I think I think the actual poll numbers, if Boris Johnson were to win, would look very different from from that kind of hypothetical poll. I think a lot of what we're seeing there is just kind of name recognition. A lot of people people know Boris Johnson, and he does still have a, some support from a certain section of the of the um, of the country. But I just don't think that's that's a realistic reflection of what would actually happen. I mean, Tim, if Boris Johnson wins. Do you think a significant number of Tory MPs might resign the whip or even defect to the Labour Party? There's been one defection, obviously, so far, Kristen Wakeford. 
uh, very south. What do you think? I mean, how how ungovernable? I'll ask about Mr. Sunak afterwards. How ungovernable would a Boris Johnson leadership be? Well, I think you know the Tories still have is it about a majority of seventy after by elections and defections. So it would take quite something for Boris Johnson to start losing big votes in the House of Commons. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, one thing that Jeremy Corbyn experience showed was um, if you are connected to the public, you can lose support amongst parliamentary colleagues and it not matter as much as the Westminster Village thinks. So Boris Johnson could sort of still survive potentially as a political project, even if he has lots of internal parliamentary difficulties. But, you know, his ratings are... People, I think, at the moment in the Conservative Party remember, you know, the final flourishes of his premiership, the Hasta la Vista baby stuff, and, you know, that he makes people smile. But you actually drill down into poll numbers, which I think are perhaps more real than voting intention numbers. And, you know, even on likability, I think he's about minus 15% on YouGov. And that's his strongest suit. In terms of trustworthiness, he's minus 70%. You know, that is, I think, worse than Liz Truss. And, you know, we all know that Liz Truss is not the benchmark for political success. So I think the Tory party, um, I think on Friday, there was a, a real possibility in my own mind that he would come back. Um, I think a little bit more sanity has dawned in the last 24 hours. And I suspect... Rishi Sunak will be Prime Minister tomorrow. I think the lead amongst Conservative MPs that he's now beginning to build up, the Suella Braverman endorsement is not insignificant. I think Boris will say, for the sake of the Conservative Party, he isn't going to stand. He certainly won't want to stand if he looks like he's going to lose very badly amongst MPs. Just in terms of Rishi Sunak, um, I'll start with you, Adam, on this one. Because... I mean, again, is it perhaps the case the Conservative Party is now just ungovernable, whoever the leader is, that there will be recalcitrant? I mean, it's true that it's quite significant that members of the Tory right are lining up behind Mr. Senna. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Nadine Dorries is, is someone who's is going to go down with Boris Johnson to the bitter end, I would say. Um, but I mean, what do you think? Do you think there'll, there'll be a section of Tory MPs? who just will never resign themselves to Rishi Sunak, who they basically regard as a backstabber who brought down or, or helped bring down Boris Johnson. So what do you think? Well, I think all governments ultimately die. And I think what we've been seeing over, over Truss and Johnson in the last year or so is it's just the party has gradually sort of turned in on itself and has become more focused on its own internal battles and what the public actually wants. I think regardless of what's happened with Partygate and the, and the economic catastrophe under trust. I think we would be seeing some of what we've seen over um, over the last year or so within the Conservative Party. Um, I think at the start of this process of picking the new leader, I thought that you know perhaps if Sunak wins, he could have a very difficult time and there will be a large constituency on the right of the parliamentary party who were completely unresolved to him becoming leader. He seems to have resolved a lot of that and he's, he's getting these big names on the right, people like Steve Baker, Kevin Badenoch, Suella Braverman. Um, how, how loyal those people on the right will remain to him, I don't know. But I think that possibly points to the fact that, as we, as we say, he's, he's more on the right than perhaps his image would suggest. But I think you know, whoever wins, it's going to be incredibly difficult with the poll ratings as they are. We've considered MPs 
looking as if they're going to have a wipe out the next general election with hugely unpopular and difficult cuts to be made to public services. Whoever wins is going to have a really incredibly difficult time. I just think it makes it'd probably be a lot easier for Sunak to deal with all of that, given his character and, and the coalition that he seems to have formed, than it would be for either of the other two candidates. Tim, what do you think? I mean, how stable do you think a Rishi Sunak premiership would be? Particularly, I suppose, what we're talking about is austerity now, so returns to austerity, big cuts. That's after 12 years. That isn't what the Conservative manifesto obviously set out in 2019. So what do you what do you think? I mean, how do you, how stable do you think his leadership will be, and what happens when they start making severe cuts, which, in terms of, is a very different offer than twenty nineteen. Yeah, well, you're right about that, and um, the cuts will be difficult. Um, I think Jeremy Hunt uh, has made clear that they are coming. Um, the problem for the Tory party. Um, is that um, because of the mistakes that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng made in the mini-budget, the Tories will own the cuts, the higher mortgage rates, much more now than perhaps they would have done if it had been seen as part of a natural trend across the world. Um, so there's definitely going to be a political cost to that. Um, but just in terms of the general stability and the whole Sunak thing, I, I, I was quite shaken yesterday um, I had a conversation with a Rishi Sunak supporting MP. And, you know, I it, reluctantly, through gritted teeth, I would now back Rishi Sunak. But uh, the whole tone that I had with that MP, who's a very good friend, was, you know, basically, we always knew all along. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, that Rishi Sunak was the person. And you commentators, you conservatives, you know nothing. You know, we know how government works, you don't. And without going in all, in all the details, it was a pretty ugly conversation. And, you know, especially members of the Conservative Party aren't really giving quarter to each other at the moment. We're not acknowledging, you know, you have a lot of things right, we have some things wrong. There's... It's 12 long years of being in government, 12 long years in which scores haven't, you know, wounds have been opened, scores haven't been settled, enmities have arisen, the, the joy of mission, the joy of being in government, the sense of finally we can do stuff. It's fading, it's eroding, it's a, it's a declining project, it's an unhappy ship. And um, I think Rishi Sunak, first of all, needs to apologise, he needs to appoint a cabinet of all the talents. But even then, there's a lot of people who think, 
I think, largely wrongly that Rishi Sunak undermined Liz Truss. He undermined Boris Johnson. And there's not a lot of forgiveness or goodwill in the Conservative Party. So normal errors that would be forgiven in the normal course of politics aren't going to be forgiven by backbenchers and others. So it's, it'll be more stable than the Liz Truss era, but that wouldn't be difficult. But I don't think it's, it's certainly not going to be a golden era of conservatism. It's going to be pretty unpleasant to, to be part of, I think. So finally, Adam, what do you, in terms of Labour, with either Rishi Sunak or Boris Johnson, do you think they've got much to worry about? Should they be complacent? Obviously, we've got used to almost ridiculous poll leads for the Labour Party, you know, 30-point-plus poll leads. I would imagine, inevitably, they're gonna, they are going to claw some of that back, but Labour perhaps still with a, with a big lead. What do you think? What do you think, Adam, in terms of... Well, I mean, there was, there was an expectation uh, on the Labour side that Liz Truss would get a big honeymoon bounce when she came in. Obviously, we didn't didn't see that. And, that, and there's obviously an expectation now that whoever becomes leader, they will get a bounce for that. But, you know, again, it may go in the, the other direction. Um, I think obviously Labour overall were quite pleased when Johnson went because, you know, they, they saw him as, uh, as an election winner and whatever his thoughts and, and we, we discussed about his polling. Um, I think overall they were pleased that he went and, and certainly they were pleased when, when Liz Trust took over. Um, I think... They were expecting when trust when trust won. I think they were expecting that Sunak would, would have won that contest initially, um, and so they did a lot of work to prepare for a Sunak uh, government. But, you know, a lot of the tax that they made on him, well, they, they, they tended to focus on him over the summer. So I suspect that they're not massively worried about the prospect of a Sunak government. But as I say, I think he would pose more of a challenge than than Johnson certainly would. And I think if Johnson came back, it would be. Uh, I think it you know, would be Christmas coming early for the Labour Party, no matter what the, the policies say at the moment. What do you think, Tim? In terms of what do you think, Tim, as someone who obviously wishes the Conservatives well, wants them to win an election, what do you see as the path back for the Conservative Party, given A, everything that's happened, and B, the economic situation, including having to own cuts? Because they can't say, you know, not going to say for a long time austerity, obviously they just blamed the last Labour government. Obviously, they can't do that. They have to take responsibility for everything they do now, and the public isn't going to believe it otherwise. So what do you think? What's the path back? Well, the one thing Liz Truss was completely right about, um, and maybe this is the only... If she's looking for any kind of legacy, um, this would be my advice to her and those that are trying to defend her um, brief time in politics, was she put on the agenda perhaps more than anyone else has successfully done, that Britain has become a low-growth economy. You know, and all the issues like austerity, public spending, everything becomes more difficult if we're a low-growth economy. And Rachel Rees, of course, has talked a bit about this, John McDonald before. Um, but perhaps it might have broken through into policy-making that actually we do fundamentally need to face up to this or we're going to continue to get into cycles of austerity and tax rises and, and all the rest of it. Um, I don't think her recipe for delivering growth was anywhere near the full, uh, the full Monty. Uh, I would probably disagree with both of you. I would have a large, I would have an emphasis on tax cuts. I do think we need to incentivize people to work harder, uh, to form businesses, although I would say it was as important to incentivize people at the lower income scale as at the top income scale. But fundamentally, Mervyn King on Laura Kunzberg's programme was saying, you know, today, if we're going to fundamentally increase 
the growth rate of the UK economy. It's a 20-year project. And I think that would mean spending an awful lot less money on universities relative to further education, vocational education. It would mean spending an awful lot more on infrastructure in the north relative to the south, the whole levelling up uh, agenda. And I think it would also be a fundamental uh, change to our housing culture. And I don't know whether I can invite us to agree on something, but uh, one thing I would do would I would have a massive uh, house building project and I would happily, the state would fund it. You know, look at the amount of percentage of income that poorer people in Britain spend on housing relative to France or Germany. It's extraordinary. But I think the grand bargain I would sort of suggest is that a key criteria for housing allocation then provided by the state would be proximity to the extended family. We know that the extended family looks after people and reduces the costs of um, welfare and other things to a huge extent. And at the moment, it's only really middle class and wealthier people who can afford to live near their grandparents, etc., and provide the sort of care that traditionally done. And I think if we could start reducing the costs that the state is currently picking up by that housing family combination, we could have more money for sort of longer term forms of social investment. So I just don't think the Conservative Party has ever really properly come to terms with what Brexit demanded of it. And my hope is that one day we might yet. Thank you very much. The wonderful Tim Montgomery. Is that better? <laughs> That's better. And the fantastic Adam Bienkov. Honestly, real honour to have you both. Fascinating stuff. Obviously, you know, this is a pretty fast moving situation. So we will know in the coming hours, I think, pretty clearly which way this is going. Um, but it may well be that Rishi Sunak is the third. I, I keep making this point. When If Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister, that means we've had 30% of all our post-war prime ministers in the last six years. Astonishing. Wow. With no change of government. No change of government. Wow. Blimey. What a, what a time to be alive. Uh, but honestly, a real honour to have you both. So thank you very much and speak to you soon. Great stuff from both of them. My camera didn't die. It lives on. It fights another battle. Um, just finally, before I go through the super chats, sorry, there's been lots of great super chats. So I will thank you all and go through all of those. Keir Starmer was also today on um, on Lord Cunnersburg's show. So let's just hear what he had to say. The damage has been done to our economy and um, an incoming government is going to have to pick up uh, a real mess of our economy of the Tories making. Now, at the moment, we don't know the full extent of the damage because we haven't had an OBR report. We you need have that. Heard the former Bank we, of England governor say that, that to be realistic report. and Look, to be truthful with the public. That's what he was saying. To be truthful with the public, you've got to be saying that taxes will have to go up if we want to enjoy the kinds of standards that we get right now. Laura, we need that OBR report so we know the extent of the damage. Uh, the we need that. Whoever comes watchers. in as Prime Minister, we need that OBR report because we all need to see the extent of the damage. What I've said from a Labour Party point of view is I know there are going to be tough choices. I said mm -hmm. that actually in Liverpool three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I said it last week again. Tough choices that mean we can't do some of the things that we want to do as an incoming so Labour government mean? as quickly so, as, we, as we would want to. So, well, I'm not going to write our manifesto on the programme, but I, but I Laura, like... but I am being clear that we will be the party of sound money. We know there are tough choices to be made. We have already set out, Laura, some of the things we would do. A windfall tax on oil and gas companies and, and would bring in that, tens of billions and of you've pounds. Mentioned that and non-domed 
status, tax status change, the private and, and you've, equity you've fund loopholes. There is a dispute well, as well about how much that would raise. But I want to pick up on something you just said there, which is something you said earlier uh, last week, and actually we discussed it um, with one of your colleagues last week. You said we should be clear about what this means. It means not being able to do things, good labour yeah. things, as quickly as we might like. Now, can you tell us what that, what that might mean? Does that mean cutting spending or does it mean making changes less quickly than you would like if you're lucky enough to win office? Well, Laura, I'm not going to write our manifesto on your programme. We don't know the extent of the damage. But what I was being clear with my own party mm. and the public is that I know that an incoming Labour government is going to inherit an economic mess from this government. Hmm. What does that sound like to you? It sounds to me like potentially Labour laying the foundations for some form of austerity. Um, now, one of the lessons which I suppose people have tried to take, or some commentators have tried to take from the Liz Truss debacle, I think debacle is putting it pretty, uh, it's quite a strange way of describing what, what happened to the country to Liz, Liz, Liz Truss, um, is that unless you, obviously, the, the, unless you keep a very strict fiscal discipline, the markets will discipline you themselves um, and you will face a market revolt so that if Labour for example went into an election promising to maintain increased public spending um, then it would then suffer a similar consequence as Liz Truss's unfunded tax cuts but obviously you know for one thing people the relief people feel at Labour evicting the Tories and I think millions of people will feel quite acute relief those expectations will be raised, but then they will be dashed if Labour then themselves try to institute their own form of austerity. A Labour cut doesn't feel any less bad than a Tory cut. And that will, you know, when people compare this to New Labour, for example, New Labour in 1997, um, well, they came into office when the economy was actually booming and living standards were going up. And it was an unsustainable economic boom because it was a financialised bubble. But, you know, the Tory attack line in the 1997 election was Britain's booming, don't let Labour ruin it, because there was very significant economic growth. Now, Labour did stick to two years to let Tory spending plans. Um, but obviously, you had a big programme of public investment, which I think was marred by privatisation and marketization and so on. But because of that period of economic growth and rising living standards, even though it was built on sand, you, it bought social peace at the time. You didn't have a country enveloped in the level of social crises that this country currently has. And Labour basically took the kind of tax revenues that the financialized growth was delivering it to put into key priorities, which did make a difference in people's lives. Nowhere near as much as I would have liked, uh, but it did have an impact. Now, if Labour comes about this time in the midst of social crisis and tries to institute essentially real terms cuts on public spending or the welfare state, then they're going to absolutely reap a whirlwind. Because, you know, the big fissure, if you like, between progressive opinion and the last Labour government was over foreign policy. So you've got the anti-war movement up to too many people on the streets. Well, this would be over domestic policy in that case. This would be over economic policy. And the argument then is, well, well, what's your answer then, Owen? Because if Labour do things which the markets don't like, then they're going to suffer the consequences and we can see what those are. Well, clearly, I mean, one of, one of the things which is not kind of discussed enough is the... The markets rebelled against the government trying to cancel increased corporation tax. So actually, to reassure the markets, a conservative government had to promise to increase taxes on big business. So obviously, what Labour needs to do in the next election is to, rather than cut spending and 
then impose terrible social consequences for millions of people. They need to have a clear program of taxes, particularly on wealth, but also on, on, on income. They need to have, yes, fine, funded, fully costed commitments. You know, the policy under uh, John McDonnell when he was shadow chancellor is um, no borrowing for day-to-day -day expenditure, but borrowing to invest. Now, borrowing is now more expensive, but there's still obviously a very strong and overwhelming case for doing so, particularly uh, given the level of crisis this country is in. So that's the argument that needs to be made. That's, you know, because I think at the moment you can hear the rhetoric, including Keir Starmer referred to his TUC speech, laying the foundations for some form of austerity for, for some sort of spending cuts or certainly abandoning policies which would have a transformative impact. Um, so I think that is a battle that needs to be fought. Very difficult to have that within the Labour Party because they've shut down internal party democracy and obviously they're doing their best to, 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 to smash the left and they have, frankly, a very successful job of doing so. But I think what will be interesting is if Labour comes to power... Um, you'll see, you've already seen enough is enough, but I think that will become much bigger if the country descends into the level of social crisis I'm afraid it's likely to descend into, and Labour are in office and they're not doing the sorts of transformative policies and public spending needed to deal with it. That's when you'll get these mass mobilisations. So I just think it's worth talking about. Let's um, just quickly do the super chats. Thank you to David Baratta. Um, is this contest uh, likely... Uh, sorry, uh, to worsen the choice of a war, what are the chances of the losing side sabotaging the winner by forcing an election uh, with help from Labour? Well, I think that would be pretty suicidal at current polling, certainly. I mean, I think there are there are some Tory MPs who are saying, well, frankly, if Boris Johnson becomes leader, then we're resigning the whip and we won't vote, you know, with the Tories anymore. But as Tim Montgomery points out, given the level, given the Tories have a working majority, essentially about 70, it would take, well, then, plus 35 Tory MPs. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, it says the Tory civil war, I don't think it's going to end whoever wins because there is, if Rishi Sunak takes over, there's clearly a big anti-Rishi uh, faction. And also, frankly, when the Tories are doing cuts and there isn't public support for cuts, there isn't public acquiescence for austerity in the way that I'm afraid there was uh, for most of the David Cameron, George Osborne period, that will put pressure in terms of on the polls for Tories um, and that, I think, will then increase divisions within the Conservative Party. So, yes, I think the Tory civil war clearly has a long way still to go. Um, thank you to uh, to uh, Tom Thon Frasdo. Um, thank you to um, Tad Campbell, as ever. Now, Tad says, I'm not sure Adam is right that Brexit's over. The Liz Trust policies with Singapore and the Thames and a logical conclusion of that process the Tory right-backing Sunak is undermining the One Nation faction. True, but it's interesting because obviously that was the form of Brexit, which the, a lot of the Brexiteers wanted, but they, it's just not possible to deliver because political reality. There's The number of libertarian, economic, economic libertarian right-wing people in the country is very low. There's a very small section. You know, they, they're, in, they're basically think tanks in Westminster. And... Um, so, and you've seen what happens when they tried to deliver that vision, and it was catastrophic in its consequences. Um, so you're right, that is the vision of the Tory Brexit, but frankly, the Tory Brexit in practice is just, I'm afraid, stagnation and a hit to economic growth on top of everything else. Uh, FSM is the dog, no chance COVID inquiry will damage Johnson. I wonder, I mean, those sorts of establishment inquiries, mm, I don't know, I've never myself put much hope in them. They should do, given the tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths in this country, thanks to Boris Johnson. Everything from locking down uh, too late uh, to 
the disaster of test and trace, 37 billion pounds wasted on that, uh, to, you know, pet care, vulnerable patients being discharged uh, into care homes. Uh, I mean, we could go on. I mean, it's just disaster after disaster. Will, I just think those established, those, they, it spreads the blame around, lessons need to be learned, no individuals can kind of held responsible. Um, Dom Brooks, how many people made it to the rejoin thing yesterday? Oh yeah, there was a rejoin march. Can I make a request? Can we not do that? Look, oh dear, let's be careful here. I voted for Remain, despite my reservations about the European Union, and I would have preferred us to stay. I just don't think rejoin, for one thing, we would not join on the terms we had before. Um, and I don't think that would be palatable to the British public, frankly. Even if the EU let us back in, frankly, I think they might be like, can't be done with this, frankly. Um, we just need to avoid another culture war over this, is my issue. I just think negotiating a close relationship with the EU is where the debate needs to be. Because otherwise, it's just going to ignite another toxic culture war. I, I'm sorry, I think the Tory right would love that. They would love us to just relitigate this and just talk about Brexit forever and ever and ever. I think we cut our losses and move on and argue for a close working relationship, which undoes the worst effects of the Tory former Brexit. Anyway, that's my take on that. Okay, that is enough from me. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Thanks to our brilliant guests, Adam Bienkov and, of course, Tim Montgomery. They were both fantastic. Uh, I think my sound's a bit dodgy today. I don't know what's going on. My camera didn't collapse, so just small nurses and everything. Um, we've got lots of videos during the week and interviews to come, which we're very much looking forward to putting up. Um, thank you. Is it Press like if you're watching. Subscribe. Listen, of course, to the podcast. Do support us on patreon.com. You keep the show on the road. Um, and um, we're going to be covering throughout the week the cluster F-U-C-K as it um, envelops. We may soon, of course, have a new prime minister very, very soon. And if it's Rishi Sunak, the idea that he's a moderate Tory and all the rest of it, well, we'll certainly be in front of the queue just dispelling that particular myth because he is anything but, I'm afraid. Okay, great stuff. Um, thanks, everyone. And I will see you in the week. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you found that educational, interesting, engaging, and all sorts of other things. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84. You keep doing the podcast and the channel uh, with our incredible team's work, or use the support function in the description. And do subscribe and leave us a review, please. Some stars, any of those things. Um, but otherwise, lots of love. Hope you're well. Speak to you soon. 